Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. This is Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And this is Ross Rubin at Radical Research. What we wanted to talk a little bit about today was some of the form factor changes that are taking place uh, in the industry. And we saw many of these at CES. We saw foldable and rollable form factor changes. And then we saw some other form factor changes taking place as well. Some some of the biggest ones to note were LG being able to roll their televisions into the base of the of the television. And that was definitely a, a fan favorite at CES, winning a tremendous number of awards, but also just an amazing thing to see when when I took VIPs by that uh, L- LG experience. They really thought, oh, that just makes so much sense. It's just such a, a, a great aesthetics of a TV. We saw foldable televisions and we saw other uh, form factor changes. Ross, what are your thoughts on how this is playing out or how it perhaps should play out? Well, Sean, uh, in our first uh, CES uh, podcast, we we talked a bit about how all of these long-awaited technologies were were finally coming into the market, and and this is certainly one of them. Not only the rollable TV at uh, at CES, but the announcement that Samsung is uh, widely expected to <clears throat> imminently introduce its foldable smartphone that it uh, it previewed uh, late uh, late last year. So there's uh, we we've seen now some of the impact of of this display technology uh, at sort of the high end of the screen size spectrum in terms of what consumers typically interact with and the low end, maybe not quite as small as a watch, but, but, uh, but relatively, you know, small, relatively small displays and uh, where we really haven't seen uh, too much activity yet is kind of in the middle in sort of that tablet PC form factor, uh, and it will be interesting to see how those products uh, adapt or, or take advantage of, of this kind of technology. Now, my sense is that the LG display, while certainly elicits a lot of wow factor and uh, is, is a clear differentiator uh, for LG, at, at least at this point, at least if they can bring it to market quickly, is uh, is dealing with something that uh, a problem that to some extent we, we've already solved. You know this idea of a wall mountable display. They're getting thinner and thinner. You you've had Samsung making a splash with the frame, and don't get me wrong. I mean I understand that this opens up new mounting options, uh, new display options. A lot of people don't like the idea of a big black rectangle uh, on on their wall in the living room and. We've seen very high-end systems, uh, custom installer systems over the years that where the TV can kind of rise up out of the cabinet. I'm sure you've seen those. Uh, but um, uh, but I, it, it's kind of a mainstream phenomenon today to have the TV in the wall. And on the other hand, while uh, the Samsung device can fold down to a smaller footprint, uh, you know, something that's a little easier to grip in the hand when you're making calls. Again, I, I feel like this is 
something kind of incremental. It's it's a nice benefit, but the consumers have accepted big phones, uh, maybe somewhat begrudgingly. Uh, but as I wrote for uh, ZDNet a couple of weeks ago, folding phones bring up their own sets of compromises, at least as Samsung has, has shown them. So for me, the key is how do we get to this level of entertainment, productivity, communication, et cetera, with uh, something that we would associate with a tablet today or a PC, but something I can have always with me. I, I think once we can really clearly jump into the benefits of that next screen size class, that to me represents something far more disruptive than, hey, this is, this is really cool. Yeah, I think what you see now is them them testing what you know what they can do with the display. So you had rollable, you had foldable, you also have uh, Samsung and, and others showing micro LED. So you could essentially mm. build it as, as a modular, and uh, that was really a, an incredible experience. And you can imagine that you can using micro LEDs put very large displays in, in areas. I mean, we've always talked about uh, walls being the display. And now this would allow you to do any type of wall, any size wall as the display. So you don't have to stick to just a, uh, you know, a 16 by nine display if you wanted. It could be nine by 16, or it could build up and around uh, a door frame potentially, or, or other areas like that. Um, and And I think the idea of you know, what role does the display, whether it's, again, a foldable phone, a rollable TV or, or something else, fit into the aesthetics of your life? I would say that uh, this year at CS, one of the clear themes I saw was a focus on the user experience and the user interface and, and how that uh, influenced the way that we lived our lives. So one of the potential use case scenarios for the Samsung micro LED, for example, is that if you were to build it above your brick fireplace, if you were to build a, a micro LED television there, when you don't have the television on, you can have it replicate the brick pattern to make it almost <laughs> look in in invisible while it's up there. Right. Um, camouflage and, tv there right a camouflage yeah. t tv there and then that's a big complaint of, of why people don't often hang tvs over fireplaces is because they don't want the aesthetics of the display when it's not the display and so if you're building uh displays that are 219 inches and taking up an entire wall you might want to do things with them when they're not giving you an, an immersive content entertainment experience but they uh and, you know, you could put picture frames up there, for example, and right. different things like that. So, I, uh, I was going to say, I thought that the fireplace issue was kind of a safety slash equipment damage issue, primarily. Yeah, well, and I think there's also the the aesthetics of just these displays becoming more pervasive in in our environments, and so what right. do we do with these displays when we're uh, when we're not using them? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you also saw companies like Hyundai showing new applications for transparent LCDs. 
they showed a prototype for what a self-driving vehicle experience might be like. And of course, in a self-driving vehicle experience, you don't need steering wheel and you don't need right. um, all, all of the driving uh, components of, of riding in a vehicle. And so the windshield and the windows became transparent LCDs. You could look through them just like you would your modern day um, average uh, windshield and, and windows right. but if you wanted to have an immersive video experience you could have this really 360 degree experience where you've got content showing up on the windows on either side of you plus the, the front windshield hmm. so rethinking what that type of experience might be like again all of these are just prototypes of of how that experience could look but it, but thinking of new places for some of those displays as well yeah, that uh, I mean, see, those are great examples of where the flexibility uh, of the display really allows new kinds of usage scenarios. Um, so even though in the case of your wall scenario, <clears throat> uh, we're talking about something that has historically been on the upper range of, of consumer display sizes, uh, I love some of the uh, scenarios you're you're discussing, I think it's it's very lifestyle driven. Uh, it's very much uh, sci-fi, you know, kind of thing where our walls would be interactive and our our walls would be displays. You know, the the kind of thing that you could uh, uh, see being installed in in Bill Gates's <laughs> house today. Right. Uh, and uh, beyond kind of the uh, your your fireplace, your camouflage fireplace example, which is. Uh, which is pretty neat. I, uh, I, I love that photo frame example. I, I think it, it gets to a lot of the kinds of things people have tried to use projection for um, over yeah. the years. But, but the challenge there, of course, is you, know, you have to have the right color uh, display. You have, to have, you, know, you have to have the projector positioned in the right place. Uh, you have to find a way to get power to it. You have, you know, there, there are a lot of challenges. It, it, when it's, when it's implemented well, it's, it's, it looks great. Uh, but, but the setup just has, has not competed well with, um, and, you know, to some extent, picture quality too, uh, has not, uh, competed well with, uh, with, traditional or, you know, at least LCD display technology. So, uh, well, so when you, yeah, when you think ahead. about the, uh, a micro LED, you could do different, con you could deliver different content on different pieces of that, what is essentially yes. a modular television. So the projector that goes to a big uh, wall and projects on a big wall or screen can only deliver essentially that one big piece of, of content, that single source of content. Whereas if you've got different content going to different modules of a television you could have uh you know a wall that had different different things on it at, at any point maybe you don't want the immersive tv experience to be across the whole 219 inches but just across sure. half of it and then you dedicate the rest of the space to information or weather reports or any you know anything else that was of interest it's kind of fascinating and you know you could certainly see that as a an evolution of the kinds of things we're trying to do today with smart displays right provide some of this context but without having to have you know another separate little device uh taking up room on a on an end table somewhere uh the i i also uh 
I, I also think it's kind of fascinating uh, to consider that uh, using this kind of technology, you know, we would get away possibly from buying a, you know, 60-inch TV or, or a 70-inch TV and instead, you know, buy display by the square foot. Uh, basically, right, um, yeah. it might uh, might have some interesting uh, impact on um, uh, on on retail. Uh, yeah, definitely, and and you know, right now those are uh, three to six inches thick. But if that gets mm-hmm. thinner over time, and if speaker modules start to get built into that over time, then that that changes, and certainly it could change the retail distribution model as well. If if you're mm-hmm. ordering it like you would order some other, you know, raw material, like uh, okay, now I need uh, a square yard of this or a square yard of that, you know, to change how you think about the uh, the products. Well, and it's also cool to think about the idea of um, people upgrading over time, perhaps, you know. So today, I, I only have the budget to devote a relatively small part of my wall to video and display but you know maybe uh, a few years from now i i get a, a better job or i come into some money and uh you know i'm uh, now i'm now i'm ready to upgrade uh and devote half of that wall to to display and and the idea that consumers could upgrade that uh modularly instead of having to wait you know, the typical lifespan of a, of a television, whatever it is, you know, these days, seven years uh, before before upgrading sounds uh, sounds pretty enticing. Yeah. And, and you saw a big push towards 8K, all of the, the major TV well, manufacturers. It's a great fit for that because, yeah. you know, you, you've been constrained by the size of the television for for that to have much of an impact. Right. Right. Exactly. So mm-hmm. when. You know, it, you can uh, really enjoy the greater quality of, uh, you know, of, of 8K when you have a bigger display. And nothing says bigger display like 218 inches. So, you know, your whole wall which goes, which, goes, which goes back to that projector, you know, right. discussion. Because historically, that's how people would do it. And that's how people would do those high-end home theaters. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, so, cool. Uh, now you said an, another big theme that you encountered there was uh, intelligence at the edge or, or AI on on the edge of of the network. Yeah, and we've talked a lot in the past about edge computing, but as a theme at CS, it it feels like it's um, something that's really started to materialize in 2019. And if you think about edge computing, it's a little bit of a what I'll call an IT centric. Um, hmm concept as opposed to purely a more consumer um, centric experience but you're starting to see that push into uh, all different types of domains uh, things like obviously internet of things but the idea is that you you could do some of the the edge processing right at the node of the network as opposed to having to move that information up to a, a cloud and then go back so a classic example would be real-time language translation Uh, Mm. today we do that by going to the cloud with the query translating it and then bringing back the the result but if you were talking to somebody face to face you might want to be able to do all of that 
at the edge of the network so that you have lower latency, quicker, quick responses, things like that. So um, you saw a lot of use cases. Potentially, yeah, potentially improve privacy as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely privacy. So if you if you're doing it at the edge, I mean, there's nothing to say that the network doesn't eventually get that information, but at least in the moment, uh, mm-hmm. that's all happening r- right there at the edge. And you really saw a lot of that. One of the properties of 5G is really to enable edge communication. So, you know, think of two uh, self-driving vehicles going through an intersection and sharing their information with one another, their their direction, their speed, but all of those other, you know, the history of the of the roads that they were just on. So some of that mapping data, um, but also it could share things like their intent, whether they're going to turn right, whether they're going to turn left. So if you ever see a demo where two vehicles are going through or a string of vehicles really is going through an intersection and they're not stopping at lights or stopping at stop signs, but they're just uh, communicating with one another. That's another great example of where you want all of that processing done at the edge. You don't want the latency of, of it going and hitting a tower and then coming back down to that to that node. So, um, you know, we've spent really the last decade moving information to the cloud and creating these <laughs> services on the cloud. And now you're starting to see us create some some edge services and uh, you know i think that would be the next 10 years is looking at what should be going to the cloud maybe still content dis- distribution models make sense like net you know netflix or others but uh, sure. what should happen at the ne- at the edge of the network and what do we want processed at the ne- edge of the network and then you know as, as you noted um you're seeing a lot of that around a- ai specifically so anywhere you're using machine learning techniques starting to push some of that to the edge well, it certainly seems like a natural companion technology to sensors, right? Because you have all of this data being collected locally. There's a strong argument in many cases, I think, for acting on it locally. Uh, in, in the event, some of your autonomous driving examples are, are great examples. Uh, latency is uh, of the utmost importance. You need to make fraction of a second decisions with very high stakes that uh, could mean the difference between life and death for a passenger or a pedestrian. Uh, so, uh, you know, to, to the extent uh, better decision-making can be made more quickly, uh, that that could be a huge win for, uh, for that kind of technology. I, you know, the, the cloud I think maybe the shift that we're seeing is that historically, or over the past decade, as you noted, we had to send stuff, a lot of stuff up to the cloud to take advantage of the processing power. And right. you know, that, that's kind of an issue that goes back to pretty much the earliest days of, uh, of the mainframes you know, in, in the 60s, uh, shared resource, I guess. Uh, but, um, but, but, I think now um, the value of it. Um, well, I think I think there's there are two main values, and I completely agree with you that it's more of a corporate IT phenomenon. One is the the uh, the the manageability of it, uh, instead of necessarily having all of these pockets of of computing happening uh around a network the the resources are 
are centrally located, they're easily managed. If I'm an IT manager, I can, or even a, a business leader within an organization, I can uh, make changes on my Azure dashboard or my AWS dashboard to say, hey, we need to put more computing horsepower between, you know, on, on task A right now, and we're willing to dial it back on task B. Um, you know, that's, that's something that's very difficult to do if you, if you have uh, resources uh, scattered and, and not uh, centrally managed. Um, but, but the other trend has just been kind of outsourcing. Um, can, companies have, have put their computing needs in, in the hands of these providers because they're believing that it's uh, more economical uh, in, in addition to more effective. You know, they don't have to buy uh, the, the infrastructure. They don't have to buy the servers. They don't have to keep upgrading and maintaining them. Uh, that's all managed for them by specialists. So, so of course, you know, there are counter arguments as well uh, regarding uh, you know, trust <laughs> essentially, and uh, with particularly with certain kinds of applications and certain kinds of industries, but uh, but by and large, the momentum has just uh, been overwhelmingly in in favor of, um, of of moving those kinds of tasks to the cloud. Um, and when will those things come back to the edge? You know, it, it's when the the need for responsiveness, it's when the need for the application's responsiveness uh, well outweighs the need for manageability and central control. So, you know, you certainly gave some good examples. Yeah, and I, and I think it really comes down to, to your point, to processing that information. Because there's still plenty of examples where we're, we're going to want to move content quickly over the, the cloud. Uh, here at CS, we saw Omron introduce a the first fcc certified heart uh, blood pressure monitor that you could essentially mm -hmm. wear so they're they're really well known for making those blood pressure cups that you know that pump up and do your blood pressure in in the hospital setting right. and they built that technology into a wearable so the wearable watch actually has a a bladder in it that pumps up to get a um uh, accurate blood pressure read and then can right now share that information to your mobile phone it could go over hipaa cloud to to something else but i could easily imagine in the future that that goes directly into my electronical medical record my, mm -hmm. and so when it's in that setting uh, my doctor can access it remotely and if my doctor is remote they could see that information it um, since it's coming from an fcc certified device they know it's accurate that they know they can trust it there's some reliability there and so yeah you're seeing some of these these type of um, technologies which were typically only in very central shared experiences like hospitals now being pushed into consumer homes and so uh, you know a, a kind of HIPAA cloud environment um, makes a lot of sense there I don't necessarily want that information just uh, locally because I want to be able to take advantage of the, the properties of connectivity that you know that the networks enable so um, it, 
it, you know, while we may see more processing at the edge, we'll continue, I think, to share a lot of information over that network. Yeah, probably, you know, maybe maybe down the road, the decision to um, automatically administer uh, epinephrine or, or insulin uh, in, in case of, a, of an emergency, you know, that may be something that uh, you want done uh on the edge, <laughs> uh, something where, you know, the device has the most intimate knowledge of, of what's happening now. But, but in the cloud is where you're going to amass uh, a huge repository of knowledge about previous case studies and scenarios and uh, what, what are the, the rules, what is the machine learning that's going to impact that decision uh, that that the local device is, is going to ultimately take ownership of in the moment. So, yeah. Well, great. That's uh, that's some pretty exciting stuff. And um, uh, particularly given, uh, and, and, you know, certainly not uh, certainly topical given the improvements in smartphone processors uh, that, that we're seeing uh, in, in some ways, I think, other kinds of perhaps even more uh, useful applications than some of the uh, visually impressive stuff uh, that I saw at the the Qualcomm event uh, in uh, in December. So um, cool, cool to know it's about more than just changing the hair color of people dancing on the fly. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there is still plenty. There is definitely still plenty of that as well, you know. And, right. Um, bringing kind of those AR characteristics into um, what I'll call the, you know, the the health and beauty space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, we'll, well, we will see lots of use case scenarios emerge, and I think, you know, some of these what we might think of as foundational technologies are setting up some inherent friction in that environment. So you've got faster networks, better networks coming that will open up entirely new use case scenarios. And at the same time, you've got faster edge processors that are being built out that will um, lessen the need to move all of that information over a, over a fast network. And so, you know, there, there'll be some decisions that companies are going to have to make in the years to come about how they deploy these these services you know we've spent a lot of time talking about apple and the services that they bring to market and these type of things are going to impact them as well where do we deliver services how do we deliver services what and, you know kind of going back to our first topic that we started off with uh, in the form factors of displays and that immersive experience of of technology is where does these uh you know how do these services get delivered and then how does the end user whether that's a doctor, an executive within an in the enterprise, a consumer, how do they experience the technology? So all of those are are up for interpretation in the years to come, I think. And we're just now starting to see what that might mean. Yeah, I hadn't really uh, thought about it in that way, but uh, but it's a, it's a really good point that I can't think of um, – uh, a recent year where we saw this uh, this cusp of a fundamental change in in computing you know so many of the processor guys trying to frame 2019 as 
the the year of AI, uh, and of, you know, of course, it's a a spectrum of years. You know, it's going to continue to evolve over the years. But but I think there are a lot of expectations over some pretty impressive leaps uh, being seen in 2019, and of course, at the same time, a generational leap in in wireless uh, with uh, with 5G. So. It's uh, it's pretty rare that those you know it's, it's almost like stars aligning, uh, yep. and it it uh, should be pretty exciting to see uh, what what how how those components come together. Yeah, and I and I think to your point about stars aligning, that's why the these things are getting so much attention right now. I mean, five G mm-hmm. is a decade long process. Yes, um, and so it's not all going to happen overnight. But it will start to re- rewrite some of the ways that companies are going to have to think about the, their business models. And mm-hmm. I, I would argue kind of the default decision over the last at least five or six years was, oh, well, we build a computer, you know, computer center uh, and we're going to run this as a cloud over the network. And so that was, you know, we'll run all of the AI centrally located and. And so that was the kind of the default move over the last five or six years. And everybody was moving to the cloud. And, you know, you're thinking about hybrid clouds and all of these other types of cloud uh, setups. But it was all about the cloud. And now you're starting to see a question that uh, that in uh, as a, in a universal way of like, maybe this isn't the, the, the right approach for, for everything. And so. Um, and so as a result, it becomes a big topic because it can change the way that businesses are thinking about their, their strategy. Well, great. That sounds like uh, a lot to talk about in, uh, in the coming weeks. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. <laughs>